0: Welcome to Coach House Talks.
1: I just want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we've had to worship you. Even in this strange and, and different way, Lord, we've been able to lift your praise. And Father, I pray that as we've sung words that just speak truth to our hearts, that that will be something which will lift us, that will encourage us. And Lord, even as our voices have rung out, whether they've been in quietness or whether we've actually sung with Gusto, Father, we pray that that will just do something to us, but also not only to us, but to the people that may have even heard, through the walls of our houses, whatever it might be. Father, we just pray that you'd be glorified in everything that we do this morning. We pray you'll bless your word to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. I had the privilege then of being able to go next door to the front room where Matt and Rosie and Raylick and Mel were singing along and playing and joining with them for a little while, which was really nice. So, that was, uh, so if you saw me disappear off camera, that's because I had another room I could go to, which is great. Uh, joining with four people singing was, uh, was lovely. So thank you for joining for that. That might probably have felt a little bit strange, but these are strange times. But let's not be discouraged. Let's be encouraged that we can actually join together like this. And uh, as as time goes on, we will get better at it, I'm sure. Until we get together again, we're allowed to go back in the building and meet together in in person. And uh, I am looking forward to that day because I just think it will be such an amazing time when we finally come through this and get back together and uh, able to hug one another again. I'm missing hugging people. I've realized how much I like hugging people.
2: You've got a household really, to hug. You're lucky.
1: I'm talking about all these faces I can see in front of me. Oh. So let's go into God's Word. We're up to Acts 23 in our in our journey through Acts. So anyone that's kind of listening to this that isn't, hasn't been with us or is just popping in to hear this, we've been going through Acts. We've... Kind of covered most of the early church setup. We're now on Paul's missionary journeys as he's going around the churches and, and the various things, and he's making his way towards Rome where he's going to end up. And we're, we're now in Acts 23. So if you listen online, you'll know that Daniel last week took us through Paul's defense uh, before a Jewish mob that's come down from Asia. They've incited a riot against him. They've come down, and we read about that in Acts 21. Now, the strange thing is that this mob felt really uncomfortable with the one thing that Jesus had come to give them. They felt really uncomfortable with having freedom. They would rather go to a book of rules and tie themselves down to it rather than realizing that Jesus came to, give, to, to live a life that fulfilled every aspect of the law and made a way for a personal relationship. They would rather tie themselves down to rules than have that freedom. Jesus made a way for us to have a personal relationship, a heart relationship, not based on works and obedience to a written code, but a love relationship based on the actions of our heart. And that's a very different thing. So, but these people were they were so tied down to, to, to following the rules that, that they found that very difficult to tear themselves away from it. In fact, they would rather kill Paul than have their way of life threatened. That's kind of where it got to. This, this riot's exploding because they would rather stay as they were than accept that Jesus came to fulfill the law and give them freedom, which is a really strange thing. But that's kind of what we're reading. So Daniel last week led us through Paul's speech to the crowd Now you can watch it on the website, or you can hear it on the website, along with all the other talks that we're doing, and all of the Beacon talks, which I hope you've been listening to, that people have been doing on the daily encouragement for us. Um, They're all on the website, you can go and pick them up, so I would encourage you to go and have a look at, at the website if you've not done so already. Now Paul's speech focused on the changing relationship that Jesus brought about to him on the road to Damascus. So the basis of his speech is basically saying, look, this is what happened to me. This is my personal experience on the road to Damascus. Jesus met with me and he declared to me that our sins could be washed away. All of them. All sin could be done away with because I've met with Jesus and I've brought him into my life. Now, Jesus also told Paul that the people of Jerusalem would not accept his testimony about him. And that he would eventually go and take the gospel to the Gentiles, and that's the story that we've been following through as we've been going through Acts. Now, Paul, if you read his story, you'll look, you look at it and think he's been bounced around like a ping pong ball. He's been battered from one place to another, and he's gone between the authorities, to the Roman commanders, to the Jewish council, and back again. He's just like a ping pong ball, and I'm reminded that Jesus was also passed between ruling authorities before his eventual crucifixion on a Roman cross, but at the insistence of the Jewish crowds. See, the outcome of Jesus' life was settled long before this fateful interplay, as it was God's will that Jesus would be sacrificed. The plan was a much bigger affair than anyone, including Satan, realised paying the ultimate price price for humanity's freedom, for my freedom, for your freedom. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. So the point of all this back and forth between all these authorities is that so nobody could claim non-involvement in it. Nobody could say, I'm not involved in anything that happened to Jesus. I can wash my hands of it. I can walk away from it. I can turn my back on it. Everybody had involvement. what happened to Jesus you see we are all guilty of rejection and the only way to God is through acceptance of the very thing that we keep rejecting Jesus and that's mankind's story if you look at the world today that is the entire problem with this planet we keep rejecting the one thing that can bring us freedom Now all of this comes into play as Paul stands before the Jewish council in Acts 23 which is our passage today. The council is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. Now if you don't know who they are they're the two main religious bodies in the Jewish council. The Pharisees are kind of the legalists of the day. They like to follow the rules and they will insist on applying the law of Moses to everyday life. The Sadducees whilst they uphold the law and they recognize the law, they're a little bit, they like to see themselves as being a little bit more rational. They don't believe in the supernatural as such. So they can't accept that the resurrection of Jesus happened. Okay, so they'll accept what Moses is teaching, but they're a little bit more relaxed about it, I, I would say. But they don't hold to supernatural acts. So the resurrection of Jesus for them is a problem okay so let's read
3: gazing
0: intently at the high council paul began brothers i've always lived before god with a clear conscience instantly ananias the high priest commanded those close to paul to slap him on the mouth but paul said to him god will slap you you corrupt hypocrite what kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that?" Those standing near Paul said, do you, in, do you dare to insult God's high priest?" I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied, for the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So there was great uproar. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach good news in Rome as well.
1: Okay, so we could speak in this passage, we could speak about having, um, understanding that, you know, when even going through the situation we're in now, I mean, we can criticise our leaders for the way that they're dealing with it. Or we can say, look, they've got more facts than we have and they're acting in the way that they're acting because they see that that's a bigger picture and that's the best way to do it. Whatever our understanding, we're told that we need to pray and to respect our leaders. So our government, and so we should pray for our government at this time. And I'm going I'm, I'm kind to of, whatever your persuasion We should be praying for our government at this time. So let's get on to our chapter. Well, Paul begins this chapter with the fact that he has lived God or lived his life before God with a clear conscience. Now, that's some statement to make, but he makes it anyway, clearly and loudly. I have lived my life with a clear conscience. And this really annoyed the high priest Ananias who was known for being a rather bad-tempered, self-centered leader. He commanded that Paul be struck in the mouth. Now, this is a hypocritical act. As the Levitical law, which was written by Moses, which is what they would hold to, upheld by the council, forbade punishment without a trial. So in other words, unless somebody's been found guilty of something, you can't exact a punishment on them but that's exactly what he was doing. By slapping him across the mouth, he was saying, you are guilty of something. You need to be shut up. And Paul calls out and an for this hypocrisy. God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. I hope you can hear the tone in that when Paul kind of says this to the Jewish council. God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. And once again, as Luke's writing this narrative for us, We can see that he's drawing our eyes to the comparisons with Jesus, in order to give gravitas to Paul's status as messenger of the gospel to the Gentiles. In John 18, we read these words after Jesus has been arrested, and I want us to kind of look at the comparisons again that Luke is drawing our eyes to. It says this in John 18: that this is of Jesus. Then one of the temple guards, standing nearby, slapped Jesus across the face. In fact, if we have a look at the rest of John's account of Jesus' questioning when he was arrested and see the stark comparison that we have with Paul's story as well. The crowds wanted them both killed. Both stand for their integrity when questioned by the high priest. Both are slapped or threatened by God. And both question the hypocrisy of this very action. They're very, very tightly linked together. And once again, I think that Luke wants a bigger picture to be viewed. Why go through something like this, he's asking, unless it's truth that they're standing for? Why would Jesus go to the Garden of Gethsemane? Why would he go to the cross? And why would Paul go through all of the things he's going through unless he was telling the truth? So any of us, if we were were so held by a truthful statement, would we go through... Anything to make sure the truth was upheld. It's a question to ask ourselves, but it's the pit. It's what Luke is drawing our attention to. Look what Jesus went through. Look what Paul went through. They went through this because it is true, and it meant a lot to them. Paul's words to Ananias, "You corrupt hypocrite," is tantamount to calling him a whitewashed wall. In fact, some of your translations might call it whitewashed wall. Words that we've heard Jesus use when describing the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 27, says this, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead man's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Paul wasn't holding back in his feelings towards those that are full of pride for who they think they are, whose lives are empty, lifeless, and most of all, sinful. Paul would go on to reiterate his letters to the various churches that only Jesus lived a life that was worthy of being called good, clean and sinless. And it's only through Jesus that we can have the same spoken of us. Not because we can make the claim of ourselves, but because we are clothed in Jesus and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And all of that happens when we accept God's sacrifice. It's all because of Jesus. It's nothing to do with anything that we can do. See, the problem with trying to follow rules, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees were doing, is that you can't help but put your own understanding above someone else's. You can't help it. And we see this played out in the passage we've just read. Paul pleads that he's only on trial because his hope is in the resurrection of the dead. He sticks a wedge right between the arguments that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have amongst themselves. Knowing full well that this would
3: split the council, it pitted them against each other. Now, this is a master tactic.
1: I can imagine the scene as the two groups tore into each other with their own interpretations of what this actually meant. Was Jesus resurrected? No, he wasn't. We can't hold to that. Well, yes, he was. And so on and so forth. Leaving Paul stood there
3: as a bystander as they argued amongst themselves until the Roman officers pulled him away for fear that they would turn on him and rip him apart.
1: Perhaps Paul was confused and deflated by all this turmoil. Whatever his state, and whatever our state, God knows it. And in the evening, it tells us that the Lord himself came alongside Paul and encouraged him. Now, I want us to hear this, because when we get discouraged, Jesus knows that we're discouraged. When we're going through stuff, Jesus knows that we're going through stuff. And he will personally come and hold you. Have you ever been in a place where you've been faithful, persevered, acted with integrity, and yet felt discouraged because you've not been heeded? Following Jesus can be a really difficult task, and it's never been told otherwise. It calls for perseverance and integrity, and we will face all kinds of obstacles as we endeavor to be faithful. You see, the Lord came alongside Paul and personally encouraged him and he used his name alongside him and used his name Acts 23 11 says that night the Lord appeared to Paul and said be encouraged Paul be encouraged Paul and then the Lord reiterated his commission the task to be faithful in be encouraged Paul in all that you're going through As you've been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. So we see that the commission, everything that he's gone through so far, still has the end point, still has the finishing line. Well done. Keep going. Keep pressing on. No wonder Paul can write these things later to the words in his letters to the churches. He's not asking anybody to do anything that he has not gone through himself. The destination, as we heard a few weeks ago, is worth the journey. Acts 23 verses 12 to the end tells us of the start of Paul's journey and it will end in Rome in accordance with God's will for his life.
0: Becca. The next morning a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. They went to the leading priests and elders and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we've killed Paul. To you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining, Paul, the prisoner, called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand, led him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, Some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the High Council tomorrow, pretending that they want to get some more information. But don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they've killed him. They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at nine o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to the governor, Felix.
1: Okay. So, we've got this strange incident here with a group of 40 plus men taking an oath not to eat or drink anything until they've killed Paul. Now, that is quite an oath. Fancy standing there and saying, I'm not going to eat anything or drink anything until that man is dead, until we have killed him. We've taken
3: our hands to his neck and we've wrung the life out of him. You see, They make this oath and then
1: straight away, Paul is rescued by his nephew and the Roman authorities. God knows what he's doing, pulls him out of that situation. And that rescue culminates in Paul arriving for trial in Rome over two years later. Okay, so this is not just a continuum. There's two years of being held in a place called Caesarea before finally Paul starts to make his way towards Rome. See, we can't fathom God's plans for us. We're told that they are beyond our understanding. We just have to trust. Like Paul was trusting, he knew what the end game was. He knew where he was going and he knew there was going to be trouble on the way, but still he did it. Jesus knew that his life
3: would end on a cross, but still he did it. We can't fathom God's plans. When God makes a
1: promise, it comes to pass. He is unfailing and completely trustworthy. He is God. And this helps us today when we see things happening around us that we can't explain. We think what's happening to us as a church, as Christians, why do we have to go through
3: what we're going through? We find it hard to understand, but God says, trust me. God knows
1: what he's doing. We are called to trust and to continue thanking him for his goodness to us. Nothing happens without God's say so. So what happened to these 40 conspirators, I ask? Well, after being rescued by his nephew and the Roman commander, Paul was sent to Caesarea to be seen by Felix, the governor of Judea. So these guys didn't even get the chance to get their hands around Paul's neck. They didn't get the chance to kill him. So they must have been pretty hungry and thirsty, in my estimation. Especially given that Paul spent two years in Caesarea. So two years without food and water? (laughs) So I wonder, did they starve to death
3: or did they break their vows? Just an interesting question. But if you make a vow,
1: it also reminds me that we shouldn't and cannot stand against God's plans. They are immovable, and we are very movable. God is immovable, but we are very movable. I'm sure we can all recount painful instances, instances in our lives where God has had to move us out of the way so that his plans can unfold. My prayer, I think, for everybody is that we would be so full of, of a good heart and wanting to do what God wants us to do and be in such close communion with him that we hear his voice and so gently we'll be able to move moved out of the way rather than forcefully plonked somewhere because we don't realize we're in the way. I pray in these strange days that we will trust in God's provision, his love and grace in our lives. Let's look for opportunities to talk to each other by phone. I'm amazed already at the, the response of people just when you take the time to make a phone call and say, hello, how are you doing? So we've contacted everybody in the church, and we're doing that on a regular basis. And it's amazing the response that we getting from people. They're actually feeling more connected now than ever. These are strange times, but God knows what he's doing. And I pray that we will trust in God's provision. Look for opportunities to talk to each other by phone, whether it's on the internet, whether it's by Zoom meetings like this. The building may be closed, but the church is very much open. Be reminded when we feel low that God has us he holds us his plan is in action and that you have a part to play so when you feel discouraged tell tell god that you're discouraged and expect the response that paul got expect a personal reminder that god holds you when jesus comes to you and says whatever your name is don't worry trust it's that personal God has us. His plan is is in action and you have your part to play. God is good. Paul learnt to trust and to speak of God's goodness even as his journey took him towards imprisonment in Rome. He suffered beatings but he never lost sight of the destination. He pressed on to reach the promised goal and he later writes to the churches, press on,
3: keep going, Get to that finish line. Church, I urge you with all of my heart, press on and
1: stand firm. We are on the winning side.
3: God is always good to us and will remain so. Amen. Jamie, would you pray? Of course.
2: Lord Jesus, we, we come to you um, on this sunny Sunday morning. We just want to
3: put all, all of us, our trust, our hope, our fears, our dreams. I mean, just want to lay them at your feet, God. And Lord, remind us that this is the best place for them. That you've got us. That your will is the will we want to follow. That your peace is the peace that we need in our lives. Yeah.
2: So, Lord, as we go, well, probably not too far actually after this service to the kitchen for a cup of tea or all of those things or the garden, Lord, just. I pray that in all the homes where church is now spread wide in this town, that God, your spirit and you will rest. That Lord, you'll give us opportunities to talk to people about you.
3: That you'll give us those opportunities to rest in your presence. So Lord, we love you. We're so completely blown away by the fact that you sent your son to die for us. And we thank you. And Lord, just Lord, just fill us today. In your name,
2: Jesus. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook,
3: Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.